This is the Collector Car Podcast, the home for the auto enthusiast. Join Greg Stanley as he applies over 25 years of insights and analytical experience to the collector car market. He will interview the experts and throw in some fun stuff as well. Do you find it challenging working on your collector car? Advantage Car Lifts has the solution for you with their selection of two and four post lifts. Advantage two post lifts provide an unparalleled amount of versatility. Each wheel can spin freely and be worked on individually, and you'll have full access to those hard-to-reach parts of your car's undercarriage. These lifts have locking lift arms that protect you and your special ride, and their powder-coated finish protects critical components from corrosion, which extends the life and stability of the lift. And best of all, Advantage's two-post lifts are ready to ship now. You can find the perfect Advantage lift at www.advantagelifts.com. For $100 off, enter code TCCP. That's TCCP for the Collector Car Podcast. Hey, it's Greg Stanley. If you're listening to this podcast, you know I love everything automotive. This passion has expanded to include being a car specialist consultant for RM Sotheby's. So if you need assistance buying or consigning a collector car at any one of our online or live auctions, including Scottsdale, Amelia Island, or Monterey, you can reach one of our car specialists at rmsotheby's.com or you can email me directly at gstanley at rmsotheby's.com. Hey, it's Greg Stanley with the Collector Car Podcast. I'm extremely thrilled to have a special guest today who knows all about Ferraris. Leslie, how are you doing today? I am well, thank you. Now tell us a little bit about your job with Ferrari because you are extremely busy and you're getting ready for a really big show here shortly. Well, my um, I'm actually in a new role as of this year. Um, I'm chief judge, um, concord judge for the Ferrari Club of America. And this is my first show that I am doing administration of the whole event. And it's in Mont-Tremblant, Montreal, Quebec. And the concord is the 24th of July. And so I'm ramping up for that with getting our cars uh, ready to go. We've got 115 cars on the field, and 71 are being judged, 10 are in Futura Classico, 10 are preservation, and the remainder are on display. And we've got quite the array from Enzo era through a LaFerrari. So we're covering the whole, the whole gamut of Ferrari in, in a lot of ways. It was originally scheduled for 2020, and then had to be canceled because of, you know, the COVID. And we were lucky to be able to then delay it till 2022. So now we are there. We are excited. Um, it's been a while since we've had a, an international meet in Canada. The last one was in Toronto. And we have a beautiful venue, and it's like, it's like a resort village. The um, rallies will be out through all the, the gorgeous landscape. Um, they have the wonderful track there that is one of the most beautiful in the in the country the circuit Montreblanc. yeah so that sounds really great there's a lot of stuff going on there so is this a three-day event four-day event kind of walk through the schedule a little bit so uh, if our listeners want to check it out they want to check out the races what would that look like if they wanted to go to the show what would that look like the, uh, the, the event starts on the 23rd, which is Saturday, which is the welcome reception when people arrive. I'm doing a couple seminars for the judges, as well as a uh, concourse entrance seminar for people that have entered their cars to give them some background on how it works and what to expect. And then also on, then on Sunday is the concourse day, where we go through the whole concourse. Then Monday is um, track days or rally days. There's different things going on because a lot of our members, when they enter their car into the, into the event, 
because there's a racetrack there, there's the package that they can um, run their cars on the track. They don't have to necessarily be in the concourse, but the track is available for them. So we have different tiers as far as entrance. So, you know, they can do the track on Tuesday is when we also have track events, but it's also our Copa GT competition. Wow. You know, we have three facets to our Concord program. We have the, the actual field judging in the Concord, and scoring is 97 points and above as a Platino, for which if you achieve that, then you can go on to Copa Bella Machina, which is a competition that tests your car for being 100% working order as it came from the factory. There's a static portion where everything in the car has to be checked off that it works, including the cigarette lighter, everything <laughs> in the car as it, came, as it came from the factory. And then also there is a driving portion, three to five miles, where the uh, evaluator is in the car with the entrant, and they do a course where they do go through the gears, they go through right turns, left turns, make sure everything is fine, the engine is running well, there's no leakage. It's all checked, and it takes about two hours. Then if you successfully achieve that goal, you are eligible to um, participate on the track portion, where you perform on the track and put your abilities on show, and you are evaluated. <laughs> Okay. And you're, you're not, you're all out on the track. We have 15 this year, which is a lot. You're not racing or tracking against anybody. It's all about you and your performance at 80% of your car's ability. So if you have a car out there that's a 308, that car is going at 80% of, of its ability. If you have a car out there that's a challenge car, well, you got to go at 80% of that. Wow. So it's all okay. different. We award this one to three at each event. Sometimes it's just one because it's um, independently evaluated by usually the, the track um, that we have the event at has you know their, their track personnel and they're not connected with the club. We have nothing to do with the evaluation. We just orchestrate that, what they're doing. Okay. The evaluators decide. So last year at Daytona, we had three winners. The year before, the event before that in Scottsdale, we only had one. So it'll be interesting to see what we have this year. And that's the highest award that our club bestows upon a member is the Copa GT. Wow. Okay. So that's on Tuesday. Wednesday is more um, track time and uh, it wraps up on Thursday. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So it just goes from Saturday to Thursday. Okay. Well, that is a lot. And obviously, there's a lot for everyone, whether you're a race car driver, a car enthusiast, a Ferrari fan. I just imagine it would be unbelievable in, in such a beautiful area as well. Just something there for everyone to really enjoy. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to that. If I can't make it in person, I am definitely looking forward to the pictures. And it is high on my list to try to attend, as you know. So it sounds like a really great event. And I really appreciate that. Before we started this call, we had a little pre-call, and you were mentioning to me, and I thought this was a great point, I had asked you to tell us a little bit about your passion for cars in general, as well as for Ferraris, and you kind of mentioned, that's a lot, you know, because you've been in the hobby for a long time now, and it's a lot of stuff that I asked you to do. <laughs> so I'm wondering, could you tell us a little bit about your passion for cars, how you got involved in the hobby, and then more specifically, Ferraris? Okay, let me start where I got the passion for cars because that goes back to even before I could drive. 
I had an older brother who everybody needs a big brother who was really in very much a car guy and he through all the years that he had cars he went every and they're very eclectic he had um, I remember the Corvair he had an Austin Healey he had a an Opal uh, Buick Opal he had, let me think what else he had in there, a, a Mustang Mach 1, but my favorite one was the Pontiac GTO, 1967. Ooh. I got my driver's license, and the only thing I wanted to do was learn how to drive a manual in that car. <laughs> so he was such a good brother, and uh, so we went out in the local community college parking lot that I mentioned is very flat and it was so easy to kind of learn how to drive the car. The clutch is a very stiff clutch, but that was fine on flat area. But on the way home, it, it included a hill. And at the top of the hill was a stop sign. <laughs> yep. And so there was a little bit of rush hour traffic and so the cars were piling up behind us and I was frozen. I only had two feet. I needed three because I couldn't move one of them, uh, you know, off the brake to start with the gas and then the clutch. So I was frozen. So my brother, with a smile on his face, got out of the car, and he goes to the, to the side, and he waves everybody around. He goes, come on around. So he cleared the whole street for me. <laughs> so I could not feel bad about driving backwards, or, you know, about moving backwards. Sure. And so that was my favorite car. And I... I, I love driving it because it had a lot of power for, you know, you know, in that day and age. It was just one of my favorites. So you've driven a Pontiac GTO. Have you ever driven a real Ferrari GTO, the first generation? Are you? Uh, that would be my dream. Okay. Ooh, okay. We need to make that happen. Of cars that, you know, you would like to drive, not necessarily own, because that's two different things. Sure. What yep. you want to own and love is different than what you would love to drive and experience. My first car was a Volkswagen Bug, and I love that car too. I mean, you, you just <laughs> yeah. connect with cars because yes. I just really enjoyed them. So that's kind of how the passion got into cars. But at that time also, my dream car was a Porsche. So when I was gainfully employed and, um, you know, a bit later on in my career, I bought a um, 1972 Porsche Targa, and I love that car. It was so much fun to drive. So, you know, you put me in a car and I find something great about them all, you know, for the most part. Well, and what's so great about that is I know you haven't mentioned your Ferrari that you own, but you're definitely going through and experiencing a lot of different driving styles. I mean, you got the big 389 cubic inch tri-powered GTO, you know, front engine, big V8, big block, and then you go to a Porsche rear engine, Boxer 6, you know, and then... You're in the Ferrari world now. So how did you get into Ferraris? Well, it, it kind of is twofold. Initially, I realized, I never even realized early on in my Porsche, you know, time that they were even on the planet <laughs> until, and I will say this, Magnum PI. I'm just really? saying. Okay. Yes. Then all of a sudden, voila, they were in my head. I saw them everywhere. I was from Southern California, and that 308 is just such an iconic car, and it did really bring a lot of people that I have talked to 
into that Ferrari world because other than that, if you weren't in it, you didn't notice it. You noticed more American cars like a Corvette, you know, yes. things like that. It was just a very different world. And I moved to Northern California and got married. And then I was introduced to the Ferrari Club of America and his 1967 Ferrari 330 GTS. Mm. Initially, again, I did not realize just how special that car was. It was one of about 100 that were manufactured. Wherever we went, especially Monterey during Car Week back in the early 90s and all through the 90s, it would attract crowds upon crowds. And I'm like, wow, look at this. I became educated. <laughs> and he liked to show his car a lot, so I became very familiar with interior, exterior, and even the engine and chassis. Because we all did, we, back in that day, everybody did a lot of their own work unless a restoration house did it for you. So this, that's where I got started with it all. So this passion also has opened many doors that I've had amazing experiences through the, the several decades that I've been involved. And you just can't buy times like that. I'm just so blessed for it. That's really great. That's really cool. So you got into it because of Magnum PI, and I still love the 308. I just saw one this last weekend at the Cincinnati Concourse Elegance, and it was absolutely beautiful. So those do have a spot in my heart as well as a child of the 80s. <laughs> so I can appreciate that. And then you've got into Ferraris by kind of working on your own and you know, learning about them, everything else. How did you get into judging? Well, you know, I've been involved like with the Pacific region from like 1990-ish. There were so many type of events that we had in our region. We were very active and we were a huge region, lots of Ferraris. Um, we did ride and drives, track events, social events, and concour events. And I went to all these different events. So I, I had an idea of what it was all about and different interests and different people. Some like concour, some like ride and drives. But I really like the concour as a participant and a spectator. But it evolved, that is, that passion uh, for being involved in Concord made me want to participate as a judge. So in 2000, I was the president of the Fry Club of America Pacific Region, and I vividly remember asking Ed Gilbertson, he was then the chief of Concord for the Pacific Region, if I, he would consider me taking on a judging role. So that's where it started first as a shadow judge and then an under-instructional judge. And it was easy to do in the Pacific region because during that time we had so many quality concours, Palo Alto, Hillsboro, Lafayette, and of course Concorso Italiano. And so after a couple years of training, um, I became a national judge. Well, I, I trained and then I became a judge in 2002, continuing at the regional level. Then I became a national judge with the FCA in 2007. That was my first year that I was under instruction with the national and was at Watkins Glen. And this was an amazing experience. I was assigned under instruction with Parker Hall, a longtime judge. His judging class were the Enzo era cars. And this was the highlight of, of my car world. So I, I need to explain how um, it worked for you to understand my experience. The Concord program, like I said, is you do the Concord, you get a platinum, you go to the Copa Bella Machina, you pass that, then you go to the Copa GT. So um, the car that Parker was judging or uh, evaluating for the Copa GT was John Shirley's 250 
Testarossa, his 1957-250 Testarossa. But because it was a race car, it, the Copabella Machina competition needed to be conducted at, in the paddock at the racetrack. So we went to the racetrack, and um, I stood and watched while Parker accompanied him on the driving test, and sure, all was working and everything was um, as it should be. Then when they returned and Parker got out of the car, John asked me if I would like a ride. Oh, and wow. in that moment, I had died and gone to heaven. <laughs> that photograph from 2007 that was taken of me in the car is my screensaver on my laptop. Life is very good. I will never forget that moment. He probably doesn't remember, but I do. So I've been judging every year since 2007 and enjoy every minute of it. And probably the best part, I should say, and it won't surprise you, is not the cars per se. It's once you're involved with the cars, they become that glue that keeps us all connected um, in the car world. And, um, you know, I have so many great friends that have come out of this that I see once a year or twice a year. We talk during the year. We visit each other. And we always pick up where we left off. So it's, very, it's a very wonderful experience. And that's how I got into judging. Yes, you're right. It is all about the people. And it's so much fun to go back to a show that you went to the year before and see some friendly faces and catch up. And then as you get more and more involved, you see them a couple more times a year, which is really great. And it's a lot of fun, like you said. Now, for our listeners, if you would like to see that picture, that's Leslie's favorite, just look at the cover art for this podcast, and you will see her in that very special ride with a big smile on her face. That is a great picture. Oh, that, that's the one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is a great I mean, that, that, my smile is still there. Yeah. And then yeah. I have to also share with you, if you will, I, yeah, another memorable judging gig. It's when I was asked by Ferrari Spa to be a judge at the 70th anniversary of the Ferrari automobile in Marinello in 2017. I was one of two women, but since my invitation read Mr. Leslie Blinn, I'm not so sure they knew at the time, but that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. You'll take it. That, um, that was an amazing experience um, being there and being part of it, the Italians, Ferrari knows how to put on a party. <laughs> but you also realize there are two very important entities in Italy, the Pope and Ferrari, and not necessarily in that order. I'm just saying. <laughs> it, right, was, right. it was just um, an amazing experience. So, yeah, I told you I could go on and on. <laughs> well, that's such a great experience. Not many people have to experience that, and uh, that's such an honor to be chosen and then to go there and to actually judge. That's really special. That's really cool. Wow. Okay. Well, that's really neat. So what was your first Ferrari that you owned? It was, um, when I, well, I'm not married to Glenn anymore, but when I was married to Glenn, we bought a 328. And because okay. that was kind of like the back to the Magnum years. And they're easy <laughs> cars to drive. They're fun. They're, they can be, if you will, I mean, daily drivers. Um, you don't, there's, they're not complicated. And I really, really enjoyed it. But my dream car, the car that I really wanted, was a Testarossa because, again, I will say it, Miami Vice. Oh, okay. It was such a striking (laughs) design, different from anything Ferrari ever did before or after, really outside the box. It started with, like, the um, 365 um, GT4 BB, the first flat 12 street car. 
then the testarossa is the third iteration of the concept. The 512 BB and the 512 BBI preceded it, and it was followed by the 512 TR and then the 512 M, and then it was over. But it was a great era. I loved the flat 12s before I became chief um, of Concord. That was my expertise. That was what I always judged were the flat 12s. I just really loved them. But I also have to throw in the F40 because it also is a completely different idea than Ferrari's ever done. And I like them as well, probably not to drive, but to look at. They're not fun to drive. Well, so I see the big common thread here, which is 80s TV shows, okay? <laughs> right? You yeah. got Magnum PI, detective shows. I know. Okay, so now I want to know what is the next detective show that has a Ferrari, so I'll know what you're going to buy. <laughs> I have my... I have my 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 car that I have loved, and I've had it since 1998. Wow! And okay. it's not going anywhere. And it's, tell us about um, that. It's not red. Okay. It's not red. It's white with navy interior. It is a stunning car. Oh, that's beautiful. It is uh, an award-winning car. Um, you know, it's uh, everything's you know as it came from the factory, and I have in its day as long as I've owned it, I have shown it at Concours. I have done the Virginia City Hill Climb in it. I have um, done like Sears Point, Thunder Hill, Laguna Seca, and Button Willow where I ran off the track oh, and wow. around three times. That I learned what happens when you take an early <laughs> apex. You run out of road. <laughs> but it was flat and every and life was good. So <laughs> Anyway, I have done a lot of fun things in that car. That is a, a very different color combo, lovely color combination. I don't think I've ever seen on a Testarossa. So that I can see why that's your forever car. It, it really is. I, you know, some people, you know, I, I connect with cars. I mean, I was even connected to that Volkswagen, okay, just saying. But for, for Ferraris, I like the 328. We did... Ten years ago, acquired a, another 328 because I still like to do track events, and I didn't want to, you know, put the Testarossa in peril. So this was a track car. So I haven't tracked for a while, but we bought it to do that, and you know, but it didn't have the power of the Testarossa. Right, right. Had, just saying. <laughs> but that's eight right. versus twelve. No, that's really cool. And now I do want to make a call out to any Ferrari GTO owners. Now I'm talking about the Series One, Series Two from the '60s. You need to put Leslie in the front seat and let her, or in the driver's seat, and let her have that so she can say, not only have I driven a Pontiac GTO, but I've driven a real Ferrari GTO. God, that would just be fabulous. I think we had talked early on about dream cars. One of the cars that really speaks to me and at the same time is user-friendly, enjoyable to drive, and visually spectacular it's yes. the 288 yep. GTO. Yeah, and obviously there's also a 599 GTO. So we have a lot of GTOs. We need to check off the list here for you. Well, the 288 <laughs> first, okay? That's awesome. That's great. And, you know, a lot of other people agree with me because their value has just been has climbed astronomically. So good for them, but they're a beautiful car. Well, one thing I want to make sure I mention in this podcast is the best way for our listeners to learn more about the information for the Montreal Concours and race days and everything you have going on there. What's the best way for them to get more information about it? They can go to the Ferrari Club of America website, and when they click on that, they can go to events and go to annual meet, and it'll be right when they click on annual meet, it'll take them to the um, to the event. 
All right, so we covered the Concorde, your passion for Ferraris, and all things automotive. Now, is there any additional breaking news you could share with my listeners before we get into my little game? I was asked recently to participate in a a Ferrari documentary that is being done. And there's two parts to it, and I can't really say any more about it. It's going to be, hopefully, I think next summer. But I was asked to participate in one of the segments, Women Who Own Ferraris and Drive Ferraris. About three months ago, I, um, I also helped recruit other women in the country that are doing segments based around where they are. And it's all going to come together as part of this documentary. And myself and, um, and two other women spent two days filming in Texas Hill Country back in, in March. And it was an amazing experience. It just was great. So, like I said, these all these things that I've been able to do that are, I don't, you know, I'm a loss for words. I'm just lucky. Well, and I do want to have you back on and maybe a couple of your other guests from that program to maybe talk about it when it comes out and give us a little behind the scenes. Oh, look. you would enjoy that. <laughs> these other, they're, they're quite the characters. The, the, the ones that I wrote, you know, one of them had a, uh, a four five eight spider, one California T, and I had the Testarossa. Oh wow! Okay. It was an amazing, amazing time. We we had a great, and we became best friends through it. I mean, there I knew them obviously, but um, through this whole two day um, grueling, you know, takes and retakes and retakes, and you know, just quickly, I mean, just to make you laugh, I realized that. On the first day when we were really tired, I looked at those two women and I said, you know what, I don't know why you're tired. You didn't have to drive. You just get in your car and you hit the gas, you hit the brake, <laughs> and you listen to the radio. I had to drive a car. They go, what do you mean? I said, I had to shift. I have no power steering. And I said, I'm tired. And they go, it doesn't have power steering. I said, it's 32 years old. You guys need to get out more. That's right. And you got a big V12. You got to hustle around there in the back there, right? Oh yeah, and, and shifting is tough too in that car. And the brake and the clutch is, is, you know, same thing, same old, same old. But anyway, we we had the best time. But that would be amazing to come back on and and do that with them. Wow, yeah, that would be really great. Let's just go ahead and plan on it. All right, Leslie. So we just covered a lot of good stuff about the show coming up, and I know that there's some interesting challenges presenting to judges nowadays. So tell us, what is it like to judge a Ferrari today, and what are some of the challenges that you're facing? I follow two two uh, judges before me, Ed Gilbertson and Chris Current. And um, as time has evolved with the chief of Concord evolving, so have the the cars have evolved. And so my challenges are different in my new role. I see it needing to evolve as the cars are evolving. The demographics of the cars eligible to judge five years or older are very different from Enzo era or, or the Fiat era. Our goal and mantra is that we want to always maintain a specific car's originality and authenticity. But we need to enjoy driving the car because that's what Ferraris are for. It's to drive. And the example I always use so I can explain what the difference is, a 288 GTO that had only three options. It was 1985 was their year, and they only had three options available when ordered from the factory, air conditioning or not, roll-up windows or electric, and seats, either black or black with red inserts. That's it. 
they were all red. Right. So it's easy to ascertain what is original in those cars. But today, the factory offers so many options. It is like, let's design your own Ferrari, and it's, and it's a one-off, if you will. So this is much more challenging. It started early with the 360s, somewhat, and now we are judging 458s, 488s, and La Ferraris, and, because they are now all eligible. And the amount of options that any one person can choose from what's available from wheels to steering wheels to colors, it's all different, and no two cars are ever going to be alike. So that is our challenge to figure out how we can ascertain what was original as it came from the factory ordered or what was added as aftermarket. So that's one of my biggest challenges, and we're working on that right now. Now, one thing I like to do at the end of these conversations is have a play a little game. I did give you a heads up on this called Keep Cash and Crush, where I, I give you three cars, and you have to pick one to keep forever, one to cash in, and then, unfortunately, one to send to the crusher. Now, I'm not super cool where I'm going to give you three Ferraris. I try to do something a little bit ah, different. Well, <laughs> now everybody who I've lost sleep over this one. <laughs> okay, well now everybody, you know, all the Ferrari fans are like, wait, we want to see Leslie crush a Ferrari. Well, you know what? We'll save that for the next one. So this one, I did write down a three cars you mentioned earlier. Three of the cars that you sounds like you kind of drooled over as a little girl. One was a Corvair. One was an Austin Healey, and then one was a Mach One. So I'm going to give you those three cars. Which ones would which one would you keep forever? Which one would you cash in? And then which one would you send to the crusher? Now I'm specifically talking about the ones your brother had. Okay, so the three that he had, the Austin Healey and the Corvair, which is a very interesting car, but and the um, Mach one. What year Mach one was that? Well, I'm a Mustang guy, so what year was that? Oh, I had to be 68, 69. Okay, 69 was the first year. 69, maybe? Yeah, 69 was the first year for the Mark 69, then. Yep. Okay. Because he got rid of the GT, the GTO, then he had that Austin Healey, and then he got the Mach 1, and I was mad at him for getting rid of the GTO, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> um, well, okay, the Corvair. Here's the deal. I crushed that one. Okay, because it's a Corvair, it or why? It, no, no, no. It's because... Um, you know, it's, how can I say this? Car people are car people, and there's such a connection no matter what, and no one's, no person's car is bad or invalid, but we do have opinions because we're all different, but we all have this passion for cars. So I, I, I just needed to say that. Um, it's got it, to me, design is everything, um, and especially the rear view, and there's a lot of my criteria that I look at. And Corvair just didn't have anything for me. I, I mean, I know that people like them, and they're a very interesting car with a lot of history, um, as we all well know. But um, it just wouldn't be one that I would, would keep. It just didn't have anything for me as far as what, what I like in a car. But I know it has value. So the crush was easy for you. So which one would you keep, and then which one would you cash in? I would probably keep the Austin Healey because I thought it was just a cute little convertible and I love driving around, bipping around in it. <laughs> okay. And the Mach 1 I probably would, you know, cash in, just not sure where, where that would, would take us, but it would probably be more valued by others than by me. Sure. Is, is how I would put it in a nutshell. 
Okay. Um, but I, I like that little convertible a lot. <laughs> okay. No, that's fair. No, she didn't say the G. No, she didn't say the GTO because that would have been hands down. Keep that one. I know that would. That's an easy keeper. So I, I didn't want to have that one. That's for sure. So no, that's great. Okay. Well, I appreciate your time on the Collected Car Podcast today, and I can't wait to see you, hopefully, in Canada. Okay, and anything else you need, you just let me know. This was a pleasure, and thank you for letting me tell all my stories. Thanks for listening to the Collector Car Podcast. Don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes, and be sure to follow us on Instagram and everywhere else at the Collector Car Podcast. <laughs>